0: Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by
1: visiting Fetzer.org. Jennifer Michael Hecht writes this, We are indebted to one another, and the debt is a kind of faith, a beautiful, difficult, strange faith. We believe each other into being. That's the message this philosopher, poet, and historian puts at the center of her unusual writing about suicide. She's traced how Western civilization has at times demonized those who died by suicide, at times celebrated it as a moral freedom. She has struggled with suicidal places in her life and lost friends to it. And she proposes a new cultural understanding based not on morality or on rights, but on our essential need for each other.
0: Your staying alive means so much more than you really know or that anyone is aware of at this moment. But we're in it together
1: in this profound way, and you can take some strength from that. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. I spoke with Jennifer Michael Hecht in 2014 after she published Stay, a history of suicide and the philosophies against it. And I also interviewed her once before in the early years of this show about her glowing work on the forgotten history of doubt as a graceful life philosophy. I can't remember if I asked you this when I talked to you before. I, this has just become a stock question for me. I ask everybody um, this mm. question to begin, which is, um, was there a, a, a spiritual or religious background to your childhood? Uh,
0: yes, there was. Um, my uh, father was a Jewish atheist physicist, still yeah. is. That's a great my, tradition. That's a great lineage yes, to be in. Yes, it a, really is. Yeah. Um, and uh, my mom believed in Judaism and the Jewish God, and she was in charge of our spirituality um, until at ten. I decided, no, this is not true. Okay, <laughs> um, but I did all the stuff before. That. I went to mm-hmm. temple more than your your average bear. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I wonder. Uh, as you got into the subject of suicide, is are there early associations for you with suicide or or anything that even just came to you? As you were writing this book, well, yeah, you know, I've I've lived
0: with uh, suicidal thoughts at times, Hmm. Um, so it's very it's all very keen to me.
1: Hmm. Well, I don't think you really you don't really talk about that in the book, do you?
0: Not in the book, but I talk about in the preface. I talk about my own dark times, yeah, Um, and now in the. You know, t- discussing with people afterwards, it just seemed more relevant to talk about my own. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and then it seems like you really became mobilized to, to pick this up and worry with it and um, think about it and think about it historically um, after two, not, not just one but two um, yeah, peers, young or... women, fellow poets and friends um, killed themselves yes. in a short period of time. That's right. We we had all been up at Columbia
0: um, getting our PhDs at the same time, them in uh, literature and I in uh, history, history of science. and uh, But we were all poets, and uh, so we knew each other then. And, uh, you know, to, to varying degrees, saw each other across the 10 or whatever years that followed uh, just because we were poets, go to conferences and stuff, and uh, parties and see each other everywhere. Uh, but... Um, when the first friend did it, I had just started to come out of a very dark period myself. And then when the second friend did it, who was also friend with the first Was that
1: Rachel. Rachel Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And Rachel Whetstone and I yeah, I wrote something on the internet, not thinking I was really talking to more than a few other poets. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, it it, it got around too. And that's when I started to think very seriously, because I was getting emails from people who were saying that these very little things I'd done had helped them tremendously. And so it was really, you know, then it was a mission. I'm a historian, and I, I read a great deal of philosophy through history. So I had these impulses of ideas but I really had to search them down and find out the nuances. And um, that did bring more information. But I, I, I also want to add, look, I, I, I'm someone who speaks to people about living a deep, meaningful life yeah. uh, without a definite spiritual guideline. And that made me very attentive to, uh, attentive to this when i was feeling at my worst i very much appreciated reading mary Carr's lit you know she starts out she's an atheist she's an alcoholic she's depressed very depressed and eventually aa convinces her to get the higher power and then her son becomes interested in catholicism and she's a catholic by the end <sighs> and and that wasn't helping me at all um and and so i was really thinking mm. you know what can a person do when they're at their absolute wits end but they can't fall down on their knees and pray. It doesn't work for them. It's For them it's like talking to your hand, it just yeah. isn't helpful.
1: Yeah, and you say that and um, interestingly what you have been doing in your, in your reflection on this is actually pulling the lens back to think about the human and humane context of suicide. Yes. Uh, which is life, which is a commitment to life. Um, yes, and also very specifically to other human beings. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a communal grounding for an argument against suicide, just essentially right. that we need each other.
0: Yeah. The communitarian is what struck me first, and that was very much like I was sitting alone in my room thinking this out. And when Rachel did it too, I felt so much pain, um, even though we were not super close, Yeah.
1: Um,
0: that I was thinking in terms of how much you hurt other people when you do this, and so I shouldn't do it. And within seconds, I was on the other side of that, seeing that we're trained and raised to Feel very individualistic, but it's not true, right? Right? We gain and lose weight together. We smoke and stop together. We have right. a
1: third child together. Right. We're really in each other's worlds. Uh. And 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 you point out, as you do so well, with your large uh, sense of history and philosophy, that that the history of Western religion and philosophy is. Uh, among many other things, one long dialogue on the propriety of taking your own life. I mean, I, yeah. I find this so helpful in your book how you look at how we as human beings, as a species, and as culture have. Been grappling with this and the kind of drama. There's a there's a trajectory there, right? There's a there's a, yes. a back and forth and a development. Yeah. So let's I yeah. mean, let's talk about that. Tell some of that story.
0: Well, let's do a real quick, simple version, which is that the ancient world had a certain amount of ambivalence about suicide. Uh, they lauded some famous suicides, but their literature. Um, uh, Socrates said, "Don't do it." Plato said, don't do it, all, all for community. Uh, Aristotle said, don't do it. And Seneca and Socrates are both thought of as famous suicides. But right. He, I was going to say,
1: Socrates said, don't do it, but he
0: did it. <laughs> but he did it, but they were compelled by government. So it was in that very room where he was drinking, gonna, about to drink the hemlock that he told his people, you can't. Uh-huh. Everyone has to stay for each other unless you're compelled in the way I am. Um, but Seneca also was... Um, he, he killed himself when Nero, the Emperor Nero, commanded him to. So it's not really what we today would think of as suicide. Uh, but Seneca wrote beautifully against suicide. He, he said at one point that, uh, you know, life is really hard. Mm-hmm. And he talked about it in really interesting ways. But then there's another passage where he says uh, he'd like to kill himself. But um, instead of being courage from him, it would take away courage from his aging father. Mm. And so and so he says sometimes to live is an act of courage. Mm. Um, and that's been quoted many times, that last little line. Mm. And what's important is to note that the ancient world could, in certain sacrifice for the community cases, they could appreciate this kind of gesture. Right. But, you know, many scholars have seen Jesus as a suicide. Uh, it says in John, the um, no one takes my life uh jesus is, says uh, no one takes my life i lay it down myself and mm. there and I have just, been you
1: see that in that in that same sphere of a willing sacrifice on behalf of something greater
0: yes uh-huh. and you add to it the martyrs um the the martyr problem was was huge and then once constantine makes Christianity no longer illegal in 313, there's no point in it anymore for the church. The church is just getting to be more than a bunch of scattered little groups. It's But the church doesn't want to lose members anymore, and it's not illegal, so it doesn't make any sense anymore. But people kept doing it. It was part of that culture. And by now, of course, they're doing it mostly by themselves. They're killing themselves to be a martyr uh, for this religion. And the church starts having, at almost every council they have in the you know 300s 400s 500s 600s all these councils add notions of if you kill yourself and say it's piety you're going to be excommunicated but it it's was sort-
1: preventative in a- it was and we have mm-hmm.
0: records that make that clear of people discussing mm-hmm. their thinking um, and very often also discussing the tug between god and the devil and the devil was right. by the late middle ages very much associated with
1: suicide and I think the point you make, I mean, what you're saying I, I, is is provocative. Um, I think, you know, what came down then into the Christian West eventually was not these kinds of displays of punishment, but a sense that this is wrong, that God forbids it. And I, I think another provocative point you make is that, that that as the only reason not to commit suicide was actually kind of dehumanizing um Sure. Did it, right, um, but did, what's in, in your view. What's important, well,
0: there are lots of ways of looking at it, but but the uh-huh. key bit for me is that the Enlightenment saw it as a clear goal to stop the church uh, being involved in this and stop right, and <laughs> right. to argue against that God was um, so concerned with your particular details um, and what you did and also just saying... Um, You know, the church doesn't have any business in this. And And then in
1: reaction, the Enlightenment ends up kind of christening it as a form of moral freedom.
0: That's right. And saying it's sort of one of the key pillars of our autonomy, that we have the right to end all this. And uh, it really just kind of spread. And we think of it as... As the whole sort of secular world holding these views, but we also think of of Camus as being a figure uh, in that, but when you actually go back and read the myth of Sisyphus, Camus Definitely starts the thing with there is only one philosophical question, and that's suicide. But that invitation is very misleading because he goes through the whole book arguing against suicide. Right. He says life is absurd. There's no there's no out outer reason that you have to. But that suicide is the wrong step. That life is uh, worth living. This absurd, strange thing should be witnessed, and it's vital that you, um, essentially have some respect for your future self who's going to know things you don't know.
1: I'm Krista Tippett and this is on Being. Today with philosopher and historian Jennifer Michael Hecht. I have to say that this Camus example that you give mm. is very striking. I mean, I'm one of, I think, many people who, in my 20s somewhere, or mm-hmm. when this was uh, assigned to me in college, read that first line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Of the myth of Sisyphus, mm-hmm. there is but one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Mm-hmm. Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question. Um, but I don't think that I either got to the end or really right. took in. What you're saying was really the the, the whole sweep of yeah. his argument. You know, it's interesting. I, I interviewed Brian Greene recently, and and he, he brought up Camus and the myth of Sisyphus. And, you know, here is a brilliant person. Um, But but I think the way he internalized that uh, is the way most of us internalized it. Though I will say that when I give talks,
0: the only consistent book that people come up to me and say, this helped me, is Camus' Myth of Sisyphus. So if they read it, it it helps them save their lives. They tell me over and over. It's remarkable. The idea that life is is horrible but absurd and that we can embrace the weird side and stop trying to make everything right and reasonable. Try, stop trying to dot all the I's or make it seem fair, but embrace the absurd and be interested in the future um, and imagine Sisyphus happy. That's what they get when they really read it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So I want to come back to this um Let's just say, you know, now, kind of 21st century, mm. there's an aura of, um, or at least a possibility of nobility, you know, even kind of romance mm-hmm. in a dark way. There's a noble lineage also, if right? nothing else, right? Correct. I mean, it's Socrates, it's Sylvia Plath, it's Virginia Woolf, it's Ernest Hemingway, it's Goethe's, you know, young Werther, it's Marilyn Monroe. David I guess, Foster, but perhaps. I have
0: difficulties with all of those. I mean, Sylvia Plath's son... Who was in the other room when she did it? Right. Uh, uh, Forty
1: years later, kills himself. But I learned that first from from you. I didn't know that. But you know, and it's not that there's anything a poetry not, world. It's then. not the the thing about a Sylvia Plath example. It's not like it's a happy thing. It's not like you look at that and say how romantic. But this list of people I just read, and and the list is much longer. Of you know, it's it's amazing, brilliant lives.
0: Yeah, but it's also, you're absolutely right that there's a way of thinking of this as sort of grand, but let's also point out that a great many people who kill themselves speak about there being a burden. They're afraid they're a burden on other people because they've been depressed a while or because they've just had a humiliating blow and they think very poorly of themselves at the moment, breakup of a relationship, trouble at work. but people have to know clearly and in a sin- simple sentence, your suicide will be a much greater burden, exponentially greater.
1: You know, um, I, I think what this gets at is, and this is this really was with me as I was getting ready to talk to you, um, an aspect of suicide as a human phenomenon that yeah. we that we don't actually go into, which is. The effect it has on those who are left behind yeah and right? and uh,
0: importantly, yeah. not just family and friends who get hit very hard but don't always oh. repeat it but in that in that slightly wider area um, again, I've gotten letters, actual physical letters telling me that uh, that someone at quite a distance made it um, became uh, they became a, a little obsessed with it
1: so you know I am. Um I, I don't think I've ever talked about this in an interview before. Um, when I was in my 20s, I had a someone I cared about commit suicide. And mm. it was actually somebody I had been very close to, as well as someone who I, I had very much looked up to mm. uh, professionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, I mean, at the point at which he died, we were living in different countries. Right. And, okay. Um, you know, but how... Um, dislocating, you know how it wasn't just a grief. It, no. it was. It's not just another. It's not just a loss or a death. Um, the um, the stages, you know. The uh, first of all, like a total disbelief. That's right. Like I really thought people were lying, right? I mean, I re- you know when I was first, I thought there this is some ridiculous uh, d- joke or s- some kind of you know something that somebody's making this up, and then um, the guilt and I and I mm-hmm. my understanding is that this is true, and as you say, not just in those immediate circles, of course, in those immediate circles, but. You know, uh, looking back through the last phone call that yeah. we had, you oh, know, my. and Did how I had that. been, right? Fetishized and I had the been last email. Yeah. yeah. And then later thinking, you know, just really torturing myself. Could I right. Could I have made a difference in that phone call? Right. And then the thing that comes that I, I don't think people know how to talk about, certainly the closest loved ones, the anger, mm-hmm. right?
0: Oh yeah, because you,
1: this sense of this of the selfishness of it, right? That's I've seen of that the, response the a lot. Yeah, yeah, and then the guilt over the anger. That's right, sure. <laughs> and 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 this is just me in one of these um, circles, like you know, outside the middle. So, I wonder if this is something you get um, in opening up the subject and the way yeah. you're doing it, yeah. which is this communal way that it creates a space to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's a, 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 an
0: extreme reaction, but lots of people die after suicide. They come in groups. I talked
1: to some people in the Army. Right. They said it comes in groups. Right. So there's the, then that's really a very serious um, thing you are pointing out, which is absolutely documented uh, in many ways, mm-hmm. that one of the best predictors of suicide is knowing a suicide. Right.
0: But don't, but don't ever forget the flip side, which is, your staying alive means so much more than you really know, or that anyone is aware of at this moment. But we're, yes. but we're in it together in this profound way, and you can take some strength from that. Um, I think that's for me, that's been very important. Just feel like obviously we're not individuals. Wow, how could I have? thought that we were on that kind of level. And it's funny because my two arguments that you owe it to other people and that you owe it to your future self are both about looking at what the individual means. Because when you look at a person within a group and all the trends we follow, the clothes, the car, the, the not car, the every all these trends that we follow, um, you realize the extent to which we're enmeshed. And when you... Uh, when you look at yourself and realize that you have fallen in and out of love with the same person, you have fought with friends thinking you'll never speak to them again, and then you love them again. <laughs> right. We have different moods that profoundly change our outlook, and it's not right to let your worst
1: one murder all the others. Um, and I know this is something you've thought about, but, um, well, you talked about uh, your dark times. Right. <laughs> It's hard, you know. Here's you say this is your non-religious argument against suicide. I'm just, mm-hmm. it, in a way, is a paraphrasing what you just said. Mm-hmm. I so I want to say this and forgive me the strangeness of it. This was from that original article you wrote. Don't kill yourself. Life has almost always been almost too hard to bear for a lot of people, a lot of the time. But it's very hard to argue with depression. <laughs> It is, but it is
0: possible. Um, it is possible. I think um, if the message you are sending yourself is, this is not how I always feel, sometimes you just have to wait. Um, and Because even when you're terribly depressed, you're not actually actively suicidal all that time. That comes and goes even in the worst. Um, yeah. and, and you just... Have to you know? It's a great idea to write yourself a note saying, "I am happy right now, despite previous depressions." Please do not do anything to inhibit this from happening again, and and go read it when you're down. There it is in your handwriting. Um, someone actually wrote that to me when they were telling me how much stay had helped them. They told me this little trick that they used. I thought it was mm-hmm. brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. remind your mood that the other mood exists, because depression is particularly. Uh, like one of its definitions is that within depression you can't see uh, that you've ever not been depressed. Right. You can't see beyond be it.
1: Right, You can't see outside it. You can't imagine right. outside it.
0: No, you can't. But if you put it in your head beforehand, it can help. I mean, look, we all sometimes feel a sort of fleeting homo- homicidal thought, right, when someone it's just being incredibly frustrating or ruining everything or whatever, and you just think, "I wish they were gone." I've never had. You don't this have to even think about it, right? Because you, you know, know, you're right.
1: Okay, yeah. You
0: know that murder is out of the question, and and I think that with a little bit of thought, uh, suicide can equally be out of the question. You, you, we have tons of stats that say people go to the golden, you know, they, the Golden Gate Bridge. You can usually.
1: What do they, they call that? A fence, a suicide you, magnet.
0: It is, but Uh if you go to a bridge that has the fence up, a suicide fence up, um, the people just go home. They don't go to another bridge. They, They usually survive it we have actual stats on this? Um, so what does that say to
1: you? What is that? What is that? That
0: it's impulsive. That it's tremendously uh-huh. impulsive. Uh-huh. And that if you can get past the impulse, and if you can put a conceptual barrier in your head, um, that it it can be it can work in the same way that that chain link fence can. You just um, you've put up a barrier. You you've talked to yourself about this, and don't argue with yourself. Get in bed and feel terrible, or go get help, or Jay's. Um, uh, Playing a video game sometimes takes my mind off misery. Um, (laughs) You know, there's ways to get through the worst, and really when I'm starting out, what I'm starting out with is really just the idea of, yeah, sometimes life for some of us can be unbelievably painful, but um, don't do this one thing. Um, Your well-being is important to other people, and it's not, you know, a lot of soldiers and the military suicide crisis is terrible. you know they they what feel that,
1: like that the, more is this, is this right that more more um, military personnel are dying by suicide than dying in battle in these recent yeah years in 2012
0: that was clear and shocked everybody yeah um, yeah and and they uh, well you go
1: well well so here here's one here's one way you say this uh, none of us and I, and this is very simple but I find this very striking statement none of us can truly know what we mean to other people and none of us can know what our future self will experience but i think that the specter of suicide a, a, alongside the specter of military suicide that's most present now is is teenage suicide mm-hmm. right and um yeah. and that Colleges seems to be fueled terrible. also somehow by the internet um and that is a time when um, people are, you know, even more susceptible to this way we are, which you describe, which is is being part of a group and being very in, influenced mm-hmm. by those around us. But also it's a time of life when, you know, somebody can say this very reasonable thing. You can't truly know what you mean to other people and you can't know what your future self will experience. But that's mm-hmm. a time of life. That's right. When you are inside this bubble that you can't see or imagine beyond. Yeah, exactly. But it's also true that they sometimes have experienced
0: a suicide and feel shame and guilt. And the easiest way to get them to feel better is to notice that they do have some control over future such experiences by by making sure not to start the cycle again. And they're a, a population that... You know, in many cases, their lives are being sort of run from outside, either because they're in the army or the college or high school. And so we really have to dedicate ourselves to, to looking sharp on this. It's, it's it's not fair to have so much control over people's lives and finding them in this way.
1: Right. I think that's the question. What So what can we do? I mean, you're making this um, kind of really communal plea. So how do you see that being how do you see that working its way out?
0: You know, what can I do other than offer these things which I've found helpful, and and the things that most you know people have most said back to me that they find helpful. Um, it, this is, you know, it's, it's funny sometimes people argue with me. A lot of times people argue with me that suicide is a right. It's a right, and huh. and I say, you know. Is it right for a teenager to do this? No. Is it right for a parent of a oh. young child to do it? No. So who is this guy who doesn't have anybody who loves him a lot, or or those people are perfectly fine with his decision, and he's of sound mind, and he decides he wants you know this is a very rare uh, person, and and if we're going to say that this is a right over and over to people, what are we? giving them the right to it's not the right to free speech or the right to freedom it's this is the right to die um when they're not in trouble and and you know i should have led with uh if your physician and people in your family think that it's it might be time for you to go that seems to me a a a different conversation
1: yeah you're not talking about end of life no Um, no After a short break, more with Jennifer Michael Hecht. We chose to air this episode this week as we enter into the shortest days of the year to amplify the call to life that echoes to us even in a bleak pandemic midwinter. And as this hard December has unfolded, I have felt a desire to sit with the far flung community that listens to On Being. So we're holding a virtual gathering for an hour on Monday, December 21st, the winter solstice, to ponder all that we're carrying out of this year and into the next. I'll be there with my social healing colleague, Lucas Johnson. You can register now and invite others at onbeing.org events. All are welcome. On Being is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation, harnessing the
0: power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. Learn about the latest discoveries in the study of forgiveness, generosity, and free will at templeton.org. I'm Krista
1: Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, in conversation with the poet, philosopher, and historian Jennifer Michael Hecht, she's traced how Western civilization has at times demonized those who died by suicide, at times celebrated it as a moral freedom. She has struggled with suicidal places in her life and lost friends to it. As a scholar, she's proposed a new cultural understanding based not on morality or on rights, but on our essential need for each other. One thing I kept thinking about when I was reading you is, um, I'm not sure if this is completely related, but bear with me. Um, You know, Anthony Appiah is a philosopher at Princeton. Right, I, I cite him in the book. Oh, okay. And he's done a lot of work on how moral change happens, and mm-hmm. and it's really it's it's often a reversal of something that is considered to be noble, which is interesting, mm-hmm. right? It's like how did foot binding end in China? How did slavery end as a fundament of the British Empire? How did dueling end as an honorable way for gentlemen to resolve mm-hmm. disputes? Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that um, you are making. A, a, you're 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 wanting to start a similar kind of moral deliberation about suicide. It it's you're you're relieving it from the way this was discussed morally um, in previous generations, but you're you're saying. Um, that not only should it not be uh, imagined as noble or romantic in any way or thinkable, really, but, but you're actually saying we need to make suicide resistance part of our culture. And I mean, this is somewhere you actually said that attach a sense of honor to perseverance. Mm hmm. Exactly. This, you know, Apaya is brilliant about
0: honor and shame, and how all those those three things that you mentioned—the Atlantic slave trade, du- dueling, and foot binding—changed in a generation yeah. because the idea of how to be a good person changed. Right. And yeah, how do we? The first thing we're going to do if we're going to change something that's a little barbaric in our cultures, just notice it. You can't move too fast, right, but you can right, right. start to notice that maybe this isn't kosher. Um, When you're under 44, suicide is the third, uh, sometimes in some some places in that age group, sometimes the the, uh, second highest cause of death. So think about what we do in terms of trying to avoid heart disease and cancer and um, car accidents and then think about what the average person who's not in suicidal trouble at the moment does to prepare against the possibility of getting depressed and thinking this way, right, right. Um, and and for our children and for our friends. Uh, this is this is an unbelievably high level killer. Suicide's killing more college students than alcohol, mm-hmm. just of uh, as of recently. Uh, suicide's killing more adult. People in the general population—not uh, uh, not just adults, but in the general population—more than car accidents for the first time hmm. in, in in quite a while. Uh, hmm. I don't know if in quite a while, but but certainly in the last ten years, accidents were what killed us most, and uh, and now it's suicide.
1: So, I think what you said a minute ago is so important that you start just by naming it. That that's the first step. You don't start by solving the problem. You start by right. seeing the problem, and right. um, and 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 something I've been watching that feels a little related to this is, um, and 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 even in this context of these ideas of of you know Anthony Appy about how moral change happens, how mm. we have had this cultural awakening to bullying, yes, which in its way. Was honorable in the sense that it's happened forever, and people just decided that that's the way it is, and you have to buck up and take it. And it wasn't right, mm-hmm. and it was. And in fact, mm-hmm. there was a power to the people who were bullies, mm-hmm. and there was an there was a victimization some respect. that we yeah. accepted. We accepted the victimization of the people who were un- unlucky enough to be bullied, and suddenly, we see this as absurd, yeah. right? That's and right. among teens and younger people, you know, s- suicide is 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 not stri- strictly but to some degree you know in a kind of overlapping universe with that it's a wonderful comparison especially when we re- remind
0: ourselves that that these bullying situations are are entirely institutionally created right yeah. we we send these people to high school we yeah. we as a culture have designed it we send them in and so you say yeah we we're sending our child to a torture chamber yeah that's what we do um mm-hmm. and and yeah if people are being bullied to the point of misery we have a responsibility to look at it but you're absolutely right and it's a wonderful comparison. Hmm.
1: So but let let's talk about there's a really substantial positive and positive is not a big enough word. There's I, I even want to say there's kind of a there's there's certainly a moral argument, there's a spiritual argument by some definition that you mm-hmm. that you, there's a way you're framing this. Um and you invoke, you know, Maimonides saying, you know, he who destroys himself destroys the world. Mm-hmm. You, you invoke Levinas, a mm-hmm. French Talmudic scholar, the, that our acts of friendship are the most real and knowable aspect mm-hmm. of the entire universe. I mean, you, the discussion you want to have is not so much against suicide, but for staying alive for each other. It's 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 choosing life, <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah it's choosing living, yeah, um, choosing staying alive,
0: choosing staying alive, and and yes, I thought of myself as an, an individual before I started doing this thinking, in a way that I no longer do, and I feel better. Um, yeah. and it doesn't really mean you have to go out and do a lot of communal things, though. All sorts of studies show that will help. Uh, force yourself to go be with other people is a, is as a good start. Um, but it's it's also just this internal thing where uh, I notice more that I'm part of this human thing and that there's no such thing as wasted contributions. And so it really is uh, It's a better feeling about what we are and what we're doing. And most people through history had it. Without trying, because they lived in tiny communities that were besieged by either drought or flood or, or uh, whatever, and um, they had to work together to do anything. And they were more aware of their connection to each other. And yeah. nowadays we're very
1: in a way that connection was also just forced on them, right? It wasn't optional. <laughs> it's right? It's optional for us. Yeah, it's optional. And I suggest taking that option whenever you
0: want, but just be be more aware. That we have these all sorts of secret web-like connections to each other, and that sometimes when you can't see what's important about you, other people can. And and yeah. you know, even Augustine said you can't kill yourself because God said, "Thou shalt not kill," and that's it. Aquinas comes along much later, and uh, you know, in the twelfth century, and says um, you can't kill yourself because of what you owe the community, because what you owe yourself, and. The God issue. But still, the God issue is the one that that people used because it was, you know, quite fierce. You didn't really have to think about it and argue about it. Um, But these other things were on on, uh, Thomas Aquinas' mind.
1: I mean, I I feel like you sound a little bit like Maimonides when you say this is something you wrote, rejecting suicide is a huge act within a community. I also think it changes the universe. And you, you, you wrote, either the universe is a cold, dead place with a little growth of sentient but atomized beings, each all by him or herself, trying to generate meaning, or we are in a universe that is alive with a growth of sentient beings whose members have made a pact with each other to persevere. Yeah, that feels powerful to me.
0: I, I, I feel like just the respect of the idea of love and meaning. Um, yeah, I'm outside of the religious tradition, but um, though I do like rituals, and I think if you can perform any of your childhood rituals without saying anything you don't believe anymore, uh, you should definitely do it. It, it helps a life make sense. But I want to add that I I personally don't believe every person is responsible for finding their own meaning, as so many secularists have said. I believe Mm -hmm. that the meaning is already in the culture and in the community, and that sometimes you need to trust what other people are doing and trust that maybe... You know, when you're a kid, the idea that maybe someday you won't need to be the king of the world and you'll be happy to have found someone to love and you'll be overjoyed to have some children and have a job that pays for your car. You don't know that when you're a kid. That's something that comes with growing up. You you only later find out, oh, they had something there. You know, mm-hmm. um, when you're a kid, you look at all the houses the same and it crushes you. You so want to be special. But special doesn't turn out to be this huge requirement later on people find other ways to not find other ways the chief ways to be happy are to have people you love and and meaningful work and and be loved back that's you know it's it's what goes on and you really can say to yourself i need to see the bigger picture and be involved emotionally in the bigger picture
1: Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, with philosopher and historian Jennifer Michael Hecht. I think that also does get back to the fact that, um, I mean, especially in the time we're living in now, there are so mm. few givens anymore. You know, mm-hmm. about what you will be able to get. I mean, I think the new generations are in many probably very healthy ways, having to redefine what it's going to look like to have crafted a life of meaning. Yep. Um, right? And I, oh, su- yeah. I, I suspect- got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. Yeah. It's hard
0: to push them in any direction because no. I'm no longer sure that no. a doctor or a lawyer is the... Way- you know, it's just the no. world's
1: topsy-turvy. Yeah, and I suspect that, that's, that, that that this complete shifting of the ground beneath our feet is probably has something to do with the boomer suicide rate as well. But, I mean, you... You know, another thing that you're picking up for cultural examination in an interesting way, I think, is this idea that it's this reality base that we learn and grow through pain. That there's value in suffering and survival. Those mm-hmm. are not those are messages messages that have been carried forward by our religious traditions mm-hmm. um, to some extent, I suppose, in psychology, psychotherapy, mm-hmm. but not. I'd say our culture is, in many ways, sends the exact opposite message, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Uh, I think it's uh, it's key to think about gratitude, to to feel gratitude to other people for for trying, and to know that you have other people's gratitude. Indeed, let's start with me. I'm grateful. To you, who is listening, who feels tempted to suicide, I'm grateful that you are sticking it out for the sake of other people, and I know many people are, and and you're my hero. The idea that pain makes us grow and become more wise, we do not hear this, but it's it goes right through history. So many people have said, um, philosophers and and artists and writers and also leaders. Uh, people in, in major leadership roles often talk about a period of time where they were lost mm-hmm. um, and that they, they count that humbling experience as the reason that they can lead others. So <laughs> sometimes uh, we do have to go back to those arguments as secular people. Yeah, in this world, we're trying to kill pain wherever we can, mm-hmm. and I applaud it. Let's try. But it's not the way life goes.
1: So you've you've made it clear that this you're not talking about um, end of life situations, um, right. and um, I wonder what else, what other uh, like difficult area do you find this lands with people? I mean, oh, are there well people, they don't think right? Do they think that that this a way does this feel like a way of judging? You know, is it, oh yeah, it, yeah.
0: That's mm-hmm. been there's been a little of that. People saying that this blames the past suicides. I really feel like if you have never heard the argument, there's absolutely no reason to even think about that. And if you have heard the argument, you still got to find out about um, what do you mean external the, circumstances. You're- uh, the, the idea through history that that we um, we will hurt each other tremendously if we do this, and that uh, there are communal reasons to stay and. Um, that, that you know, how can you say that there's a burden on the people who are already gone if we haven't had this conversation yet? Mm, okay. Um, and I'm not so much just saying mine; I'm saying all these people in history that I've been able to quote because they those arguments fell out of out of the culture with the turf war between religion and secularism. Right. And we have to write, you know, get that pendulum coming back a little bit uh, where we're not declaring our independence by by killing ourselves. Um, so that's that certainly appears. It's not even as big as the people who think that you can't convince a suicidal person with ideas. And to them, I say, look at the suicide hotlines. They're everywhere. Hmm. Do you think people hmm. would keep that yeah. up without checking that they help? Right. Look at the, the counseling and um, the specific diagnostic checks that people do on all these different attempts and uh, to help people and they help because talking helps because ideas help hmm. and hmm. and we 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 certainly can't I agree that when a person is in their worst place that's a hard time to hear anything new but what
1: about talking about it before it happens right right Tell me how having um, walked through this, these experiences in this research and writing the book, and also all the conversations you have in the wake of the book, how does this yeah. um, infuse your life now as a, you know, friend, colleague, uh, and a parent? You know, what what do you think you'd do differently, maybe, that you didn't do before? Oh uh, well. Um uh, one little thing is I do impress
0: upon my children that children don't have to be able to see their way out of a difficulty. They just have to report it because grownups are – are they have almost different brains. You know, I try to backpedal that. I don't want to sound insulting, but I do want to say it's not – You, if you can't think of a way out of it, that doesn't mean there's not a way out of it. Yeah. Um that That's something that studying the brains of younger people definitely made me think I need to pass on. I see my kid in despair,
1: and mm-hmm. it's something that I can help fix, but they they don't see it at all. Right, um, right. Well, what about, let's say, if um, your children are younger now, but let's say when they're a little older, if they had a friend who committed suicide, you know, mm-hmm. what have you learned even through all your research about what how you would handle that?
0: Well, look, it's terrifying um it's it's a scary thing um i think that the the conversation does have to be about how um important people are to each other and how vivid that becomes after a suicide mm-hmm. you know we we're we are all, all suddenly reaching out to each other to say, really, did this really happen? And mm. and I miss this person and I didn't even know that I was so connected to them. And that's a, a good place to start a conversation. Um, not the negative side, you know, not to say, you know, don't kill yourself because it would kill other people, but right. to say, look how involved we all are just under the surface um,
1: and let's try to help each other. Mm. That's wonderful. There's... um. There's a line in your book that I, um, you know, it was very striking to me because I did interview you once before, a decade mm-hmm. ago, after the Doubt book came out. And and here's what you say. We are indebted to one another, and the debt is a kind of faith, a beautiful, mm-hmm. difficult, strange faith. We mm-hmm. believe each other into being.
0: Yeah. We do believe each other into being. Imagine yourself alone on this planet. Would anything be the same? Would you wash a dish? Would you think about productivity? Would you think about when you slept? How would you conceive of what your life means? Um, It's like a little kid left alone in a house, a sudden shock of existential distress. We make the meaning for each other, and the culture makes the meaning. And we have these friendships in our head of people who... Uh, right. Thought life was really terrible and yet decided that, you know, this beauty in it and this communalism. So I certainly believe we believe each other into being. We are not much when we're not in the eyes of someone else, at least some of the time.
1: If you are contemplating suicide, or if you're worried about someone who might be, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Help is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Jennifer Michael Hecht's books include Doubt, A History, and Stay, A History of Suicide and the Philosophies Against It. She's also released several books of poetry, including Funny and Who Said. And we have some of her poems on the Experience Poetry Home at onbeing.org. And here in closing are the final lines of her poem, No Hemlock Rock. It alludes to the way Socrates died by drinking hemlock after being condemned in an Athenian trial. Poison
0: yourself, it poisons the whale. Well. Shoot yourself. It cracks the biodome I will give badges to everyone who's figured this out about suicide and hence refused it I am grateful Stay Thank you for staying Please stay You are my hero for staying I know about it And I'm grateful you stay Eat a donut Rhyme opus with lotus Rope is bogus psychosis Stay Hocus pocus Hocus pocus Dare not to kill yourself. I won't either.
1: The On Being Project is located on Dakota land. Our lovely theme music is provided and composed by Zoe Keating. And the last voice that you hear singing at the end of our show is Cameron Kinghorn. On Being is an independent, nonprofit production of the On Being Project. It is distributed to public radio stations by WNYC Studios. I created this show at American Public Media. Our funding partners include the Fetzer Institute, helping to build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Find them at Fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, dedicated to reconnecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Supporting organizations and initiatives that uphold a sacred relationship with life on earth. Learn more at Calliopeia.org. Humanity United, advancing human dignity at home and around the world. Find out more at humanityunited.org, part of the Omidyar Group. The Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives. And the Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private family foundation dedicated to its founders' interests in religion, community development, and education. On being is
0: produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.